You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Today, on a special Christmas edition of the Useless Information Retrocast, you'll get to hear a number of letters that children have penned to Santa Claus beginning in 1865. And then there's the true story of a two-year-old girl who gained her eyesight just in time to see the lights on the Christmas tree. Plus, you'll learn about a judge who sentenced two young men to making sure that a boy received his Christmas gifts in time. Well, all those stories, the question of the day, today's retro sponsor, and so much more, they are coming up next on today's edition of the Useless Information Retrocast. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless Information Ho, 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 everyone. Well, here we are, and we're once again approaching Christmas Day. Now, I do know there are many of you that listen to these episodes months or even years after I've recorded them, so if that's you, I just want to let you know that I'm releasing this episode six days prior to the big day in 2023. And for today's retrocast, I thought I'd throw something a bit different into the mix. Now, if you recall, back in May of this year, I released an episode that was titled Dubious Advice, which was devoted to vintage personal advice columns. And while I was gathering those up, I came across a few letters in old newspapers that kids had penned to Santa Claus. Which got me wondering, you know, when did this tradition of writing letters to Santa actually begin? So for the first portion of this retrocast, I'm going to share with you a number of these vintage letters to Santa Claus. And of course, I'm going to present them in date order, starting with the oldest. Perhaps I should begin by mentioning that the earliest letters were done with the roles reversed. That is, that the letters were written by Santa to the children. But of course, at some point, that tradition began to flip. Now, I don't claim to have uncovered the first letter ever penned by a child to Santa. I mean, I would presume that this had been done in homes earlier on. But the oldest one that I could find in print appeared in the December 22, 1865 publication of the Fremont Weekly Journal in Fremont, Ohio. And as I read this, just keep in mind that this is a novel thing for a child to do at the time, so it begins with the following preface. Here we go. Auntie, said four-year-old Alice, whose little head was full of Christmas, I want to write a letter to Santa Claus, or will you write it for me? Auntie took her pen and wrote verbatim at the child's dictation. Quote, Dear Santa Claus, I wish you would get me a little dolly turning around if that belongs to Christmas. And a candy cane if that belongs to Christmas. If it don't, I don't want it. 
and an apron for my doll if Christmas brings aprons. If it don't, I don't want any. That is all I want. Alice. Now send it to the post office, said she. And the paper responded, Santa Claus will be pretty sure to answer that letter, we think. Next up, we have a letter from 1872, and uh, this is written in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. A boy's wants. The following is a copy of the letter a small Hudson, New York boy put in his stocking on Christmas Eve. Quote, Dear Santa Claus, I want you to bring me something. I want you to bring me a big drum and two big drumsticks. I want a horse like Katie's and a colt for Harry and a colt for me. I want a bullfrog. I saw one in the woods. I want a big dog like the one in the market. I want to be a good boy and speak the truth. Unquote. Our third letter is from 1898, and this is from Buffalo, New York. Dear Santa Claus, I would like a pair of shoes number two and a plaid dress. My sister Emma wants a pair of shoes and rubbers number two and a half. Elise wants shoes number ten and a pair of mitts. Joe wants a pair of rubber boots number eight, please. Helen would like a doll, for she is a baby. My papa's not working, and we all need shoes, and I think that is all. No play toys. Carrie Rathman, number 145, Efner Street. Boy, that one was sad, huh? This next one's from the year 1900, and it's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dear Santa Claus, I am a good little girl four years old, and my cousin Eddie made a nice cupboard and sent it to you to be painted. I wish you would not forget to bring it with the rest of my things on Christmas. I want a set of dishes, a big table, an iron board, a washing set, a caster, and dress my doll Mabel up new and trim our tree pretty. I have a little brother. His name is Harold. He is good. He doesn't want as much as I do. He wants a hobby horse, a gum baby. I guess that is all we want this year. And don't forget Mama, Papa, and Grandma. Santa, you can easily find our house we live in. From your little friends, Harold and Leona Earls, number 1424 Chartier Street. This next one is from 1905. Dear Santa Claus, I am a good little girl 11 years old. I live near Goodlettsville. I go to school and Sunday school. I try to be a good little girl. Will you please remember me, Christmas, and bring me a pretty pencil box and a big doll and a doll bureau and lots of nuts and candy, etc. And please don't forget my little twin brother and sister. Their names are Mildred Golden and Meredith Malone Booth. Bring Mildred a ring, Meredith some marbles. And please don't forget Mammy and Poppy and don't any of my brothers and sister. My oldest sister is named Purvis and bring her a pair of kid gloves. I have two little brothers named Herschel and Gilbert. Bring them some firecrackers and lots of fireworks. Don't forget Mother and Papa Hit. Now please, Santa, don't forget us. Respectfully yours, Lucy Hit Booth, Goodlitzville, Tennessee, Rural Route 19. And now we're up to a letter from 1922. Dear old Santee, I am a little boy six years old. I bring my mama's wood in and fill up her stove. I want you to bring me a ball, some tin soldiers, dancing top, an electric train, billy goat carts, some oranges, nuts, and candy. Don't forget Ma and Pa and Fogger, and bring Daddy some cigarettes. With love, O. Page Mason, Mears, Virginia. 
The idea that kids want candy, nuts, and fruit is a very common theme in these early letters. Now, the candy is understandable, but I was initially surprised by all the requests for fruit back then. But then my wife, who grew up on a farm, was quick to point out that fresh fruit, when it was out of season, was a rarity in those days. This one reads to Napa, Oklahoma, December 4th, 1931. Dear Santa, I am a little boy, eight years old, and in the fourth grade. My teacher's name is Mrs. Patchett, and I like her very much. For Christmas, I want a football, box of chalk, French harp, Cadillac motor car, and a baseball. Also some candy, nuts, and fruit. Don't forget my teacher and my grandpa, also the poor children. Goodbye, your little friend, Jack Swanson. Now, I just want to add to this. This is 1931. That's two years into the Great Depression. And uh, by this point, uh, these were classroom activities. Basically, an entire class would write letters to Santa, and then the local newspaper would publish it. And what I noticed in this 1931 uh, selection of letters is that basically three out of every four kids asked Santa to remember the poor children. And I'm guessing there's maybe a little bit of egging on by the teachers there but it is clearly representative of what was going on at the time. Letter number eight is from Marshall, Texas, and was published for Christmas of 1935. Dear Santa, I'm a little girl six years old. Will you please bring me a Shirley Temple doll, a scrapbook, a storybook, hose and handkerchiefs? Thank you, Caroline Moore. And now we have two letters. This is from a brother and sister in Strita, Illinois, and this is from 1937. Start with the boy first. Dear Santa, I would like a log cabin set, a tool set, typewriter, and some good books and candy and nuts. Oris Reynolds. Beneath that, Dear Santa, I would like to have a Shirley Temple doll, a house cleaning set, an action toy, dollhouse, some good books and candy and nuts. Norma Jean Reynolds. And how about a third grader at the Ellis Avenue School in Orangeburg, South Carolina? This is from 1940. Dear Santa Claus, you are a very good man. Try to see every little girl and boy tomorrow. They would like to see you. But some little girls and boys do not have a mother and father. If you can, bring me a doctor case and a tea set and a Mickey Mouse watch. Thank you very much, your friend Samantha Schoonhoff. Now, this one's from 1944, and keep in mind as I read it that World War II was going on. Dear Santa Claus, I am not wanting much this year, for the war is on, and I know things is hard to get. I don't want much because the poor soldier boys don't get all they would like to have. All I want is a cedar chest and a sack of candy. Well, I will be waiting for you next year at Cleveland, Oklahoma. Yours very truly, Beatrice Pauline Gibbons. Now we're up to the year 1950, and again, this is from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Dear Santa, I want you to bring me five pounds of BBs and a large dart game, a football, a Hopalong Cassidy wristwatch, and some fruit and candy. I am eight years old and in the third grade. I will leave you some fruitcake and a glass of chocolate milk. P.S. These are things what I want and anything else you will bring me. Love, Ralph Larry Edwards Jr. Boy, I'm sure that fruitcake is going to get Santa to make a visit, huh? 
In this next one, see if you can figure out what this kid is really into. I don't think he's made it obvious. I'm being sarcastic there. Anyway, this is from Great Bend, Kansas, and was published in 1954. Dear Santa, I want a walkie-talkie radio set, space gun, electric train, Lone Ranger suit, Lone Ranger boot, Lone Ranger guns, Lone Ranger hat, Lone Ranger holster set, bow and arrows, BB gun. Larry Myers, 1707 Heiser, Great Bend. I love you, Santa. Well, Larry, I think Santa loves you, too. Now, not all these letters are from kids. This was an actual story in the newspapers, this Associated Press, uh, December 25th of 1956. And this took place in Seattle. The story reads, Santa Claus never got this message, but it's doubtful he would have been able to help County jailers found it outside a cell today. Quote, Dear Santa Claus, please send me a good hacksaw blade and a couple hundred feet of rope strong enough to hold my partner and me. I've been a good con except for one little caper, which is a bum beef. And Santa Claus, would you please not send my parole officer anything for Christmas because he is always lying and gets me in trouble. I love you, Santa. Pinky A. Okay, let's get back to letters written by children. And this is written by a first grader at Granite Elementary School in Granite, Oklahoma. This is from 1961. Dear Santa, I am a little girl six years old. I am in the first grade. I have been a good girl. Please bring me a doll that looks like a real baby. Bring my little sister some toys, please. Thank you. Love, Sherry Lynn Lauer. This next one's from 1969, was received by the post office in Buffalo, New York. Dear Santa, I am a very good girl. I make my bed and wash the dishes. I want talking Mrs. Beasley and cut up dynamite shack. And what I want most of all is bunk beds for my little sister and me, Ellen. Boy, I haven't heard Mrs. Beasley in decades. When I was a kid, it seemed like every little girl owned one. Now, if you've never heard of Mrs. Beasley, you're probably just too young. But there was a show called Family Affair uh, that ran from 1966 to 1971. And the daughter, Buffy, had a doll named Mrs. Beasley. And I'm telling you, everywhere I went as a little kid, a girl, little girl would have Mrs. Beasley. Uh, it was sold by Mattel, by the way. She also refers to uh, the Dynamite Shack, and I had never heard of that one, so I looked it up. It was a game by Milton Bradley, uh, and they marketed that back in the late 1960s. This next one was received in 1974 by the Nassau County Parks Department on Long Island. Dear Santa, I never used to believe in you, but now I do because just thinking of you, I feel happy. Even though I'm Jewish, I love you very much. For this next one, I need to tell you that Clarence lies just outside of Buffalo, New York, uh, basically a suburb, maybe about a half-hour drive from downtown. And this appeared in the Want Ads on December 18, 1979 in the Buffalo Evening News, and is listed under suburban property. Clarence, dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is a buyer. Holiday ranch, four-bedroom, two-bath beauty, including an entrance for Santa, a fireplace. Details, Century 21, Candlelight Realty Incorporated, 632-6081. And I have just one more for you. This is from December of 1999 from Lafayette, Indiana. This is a letter that was written to the Lafayette Letter Carrier's Letter to Santa program. 
Quote, Dear Santa, enjoy the cookies Mrs. Claus made. They are real good. Now I know where your big belly comes from. I really try to be good. I want a toy of any kind. I'm not picky. Most of all, I want everyone to have peace and joy and happiness. I want them to know it's Jesus' birthday. Now, I have no way of proving it, but I have a sneaking suspicion that was not written by a little kid. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Have you ever noticed that Santa seems to be just about everywhere these days? You know, he has this incredible ability to be in parades, stores, at holiday parties, seemingly all at the same time. Wow, how does he do it? Well, when I was a kid, we typically saw Santa at our local department store. But of course, department stores haven't been around forever. So my question for you today is, when did Santa make his first appearance in a department store? Now, there is some debate over the actual date and location where this occurred, So for simplicity's sake, let's limit it to when Santa made his first appearance in a department store here in the United States. And if you can get within five years of the actual date, I'll give you credit on this quiz. Anyway, hang around for a bit and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. Say, you know Christmas is coming and around Christmas time just about everybody's a kid. I've got a a little deal here for you that I'd like for you to look into. Uh, some rubber animals. You know that? Five of them. First, there's Jerry the giraffe, three feet long. Solly the seal, over two feet long. Danny the deer, two and a half feet long, with long antlers yet. Donnie the dachshund, two and a half feet long. And the baby of the bunch, Petey the puppy, only 12 inches. A little puppy dog, 12 inches long. Five giant inflated toy animals that'll turn your living room into a circus house. Yes, sir, when the kids inflate them, what a thrill. The old man can get on them and ride them all around with the kids screaming and mother shouting and beating on the ironing board with a frying pan, what have you. They're really durable, made of strong latex and brilliant colors like the animals in the famous Barnum and Bailey Circus. And when you hear the price, I'm sure you'll agree it's the greatest Christmas bargain of the 1949 season. Now, it doesn't cost you five, four, or even three or two dollars. Just a single dollar bill. No, not a dollar for each animal, not at all. Just one dollar for all five. That's right. All five giant rubber toy animals, just one dollar. RCW Enterprise pays the postage. No hidden charges, absolutely, I'm told here. Now, I don't blame you if you want one for every kid you know. And don't be surprised if they forget every other Christmas gift when they see their room full of giant toy animals. Now, here's all you have to do. Send one dollar bill, check, or money order for each set you want. The address is Circus... Box 65, Beverly Hills. Enclose a dollar bill with your name and address to Circus, Box 65, Beverly Hills. RCW Enterprises pays the postage. Now, since the supply of these giant rubber toy animals is naturally limited, and because the demand is so tremendous, RCW Enterprises cannot guarantee delivery unless your order is mailed within the next 48 hours. So do it now, and I'm sure they'll guarantee prompt delivery. 
Now, unfortunately, friends, the limit is five sets to a customer. So simply enclose a dollar bill, check, or money order for each set you want and mail it to Circus, Box 65, Beverly Hills for the five giant rubber animals. That commercial for RCW Enterprises is from the November 15, 1949 broadcast of the 930 Club. It was a music program that began at 9.30 each morning, hence the name, on radio station KHJ in Los Angeles. Now, I've had this Christmas advertisement on my list of possible retro sponsor commercials for years, um, but I've never used it because I knew absolutely nothing about the toys or the company selling them. But uh, then I found a lengthy article in the May 22, 1950 edition of Sponsor Magazine, and it discusses the incredible success of RCW Enterprises. And luckily for you, I tracked it down and you don't have to read the entire story. Instead, I'm going to give you a quick summary of the essential details. First, there were four partners in the company. They were Don and Milt Rose, Harold Cowan, and Ralph Whitmore. If you take the first letter of each of these last names, you know, Rose, Cowan, and Whitmore, you get RCW Enterprises. The company specialized in what was known back then as Radio Direct Mail. They marketed various products like cosmetics, perfume, toy helicopters, and so on, but none of those campaigns were as successful as this giant rubber animal set. The company claimed to have spent $250,000 to take ads on 400 radio stations in 100 different markets. Total sales during the one month that these ads have been running was estimated to have surpassed $1 million. Adjusted for inflation, they spent a little over $3 million to sell $12.7 million worth of these toys. But as the saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So just what did one get for a dollar, which I should mention is about $12.75 today? If you're thinking of sturdy, highly detailed circus animals, forget about it. Instead, one received a bag of 18 elongated latex balloons with instructions on how to blow them up and then twist them into various animal shapes. Maybe you did that when you were a kid. I know I did, although I wasn't very good at it. Now, the photos of the giraffe and deer included with that Sponsor Magazine article, these are really tiny little pictures, they show simple balloon animals with what appear to be spots drawn on them with a permanent marker. What a ripoff. Buyer, beware. So, have you come up with a date for Santa's first appearance in a U.S. department store yet? Well, I'm going to keep you in suspense for just a little bit longer. But right now, I have for you five Christmas-themed footnotes history, and I'm just going to read these word for word as they were first printed in newspapers many years ago. And this first story is from December 24th of 1934, and this appeared on the front page of the Davenport Daily Times. The headline reads, Santa Claus runs off stage as his pants come down. Spencer, Iowa, December 24th, Associated Press. Even when in Santa Claus disguise, State Representative A.H. Avery has decided that it's impossible to stay in character when coming out of one's trousers. Blushing furiously, the rotund legislator fled the stage of a Christmas party for children of the First Congregational Church here yesterday amid a roar of juvenile pleasure when he discovered his Santa Claus pants had parted from a hastily inserted pin. Reinforced, he returned, however, to finish his part in the show. 
Next up, we have a story from the December 15th, 1949 edition of the Akron Beacon Journal. It's one of three stories I have from that paper, uh, and this appeared on page one. The headline reads, Lights, Daddy, Girl Gets Sight, Bright Christmas for Suzanne, 2. Pico, California, Associated Press. Lights, Daddy, lots and lots of light. This breathless cry came yesterday from two-year-old Suzanne Bish. The joy the exclamation brought her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Bish, wasn't so much because their daughter was seeing her first Christmas tree. It was because she was seeing for the first time. Little Suzanne was born with cataracts over both pupils. Specialists said that with a series of expensive operations, she could see. Bish's American Legion friends immediately launched a Sight for Suzanne campaign. Suzanne underwent her fourth operation two weeks ago. She needs one more. It will be a bright Christmas for her. Next up, we have the second article from the Akron Beacon Journal. This is from December 12, 1957, and appeared on page one. The headline reads, On Wife's Orders, Hubby Covers Up for Santa Claus. Los Angeles Associated Press. Tom Maxwell has yielded to the entreaties of his wife and children and is painting the house even though he has to do it after midnight. Quote, My wife Marie said she wouldn't do any decorating for Christmas until I painted the house, Maxwell explained to a reporter who found him painting at 4 o'clock Wednesday morning. Quote, I work as a market manager until midnight, but I've simply got to finish this job, what with my wife and four kids after me. How long has your wife been after you to paint the place, asked the reporter. Quote, about a year and a half. For our fourth story, we have an article from the December 20th, 1959 edition of the Albuquerque Journal, and this appeared on page two. The headline reads, Little Girl Nearly Lost on Trip to See Daddy, New York, United Press International. A pretty little five-year-old girl put on a bus from Miami to New York as a Christmas present to her daddy arrived Saturday like a little lost sheep. There was no daddy waiting for her, and all she had for identification was a birthday card three months old. From the card, police learned her name was Evelyn, and Evelyn became big news because she was so cute and so lost. But a few hours later, Evelyn was happy again. Police located a father who missed the bus because it was three hours late and he had to go to work at a Chinese laundry. Evelyn's daddy was identified by police as Jung Lin. They said that Lin's wife was a dancer in Miami. Police traced the father through the help of Miami authorities. The mother put the girl on the bus Friday after she and Lean decided it would be good for Evelyn to spend Christmas with her daddy. She had brought the perky little girl to Miami a year ago after she hadn't been able to get work in New York. Older persons on the bus apparently promised to take care of her, but when Evelyn arrived, she told police she was confused. Her daddy lived in the Bronx, she said, and she called him Bing. She wore a white and red dress and had two white bows in her hair. Her birthday card was dated October 7, 1959, and inscribed, quote, To Dear Evelyn, Your Daddy Bing. Happy birthday, five-year-old. Evelyn was taken to a children's shelter while police sought the identity of her father. She lived high for a while on candy and ice cream that policemen bought for her in relays. 
Lean was told he could pick up Evelyn today. And finally, I have a story from the December 23rd, 1965 publication of the Akron Beacon Journal. And again, this is on the front page. The headline reads, With help of court, traffic offenders brighten boys' yule. By Judy Craig of our Summit County Bureau. Monroe Falls, that's in Ohio. Santa Claus sometimes does his work in unexpected ways. To make an otherwise dreary Christmas bright here for a little boy with red hair he enlisted the help of the mayor, the police chief, and two traffic offenders. It started in mayor's court last week. A 23-year-old man was appearing for driving without a license. His mother and 8-year-old brother sat in the back of the courtroom. The offender had just lost his job, and the father of the family was hospitalized for a heart condition. Quote, As I listened to the tale of woe, Mayor James Barton said, I looked at the kid and figured he wouldn't have much of a Christmas. The mayor sentenced the man to 30 days in jail and fined him $50, then suspended the sentence. Then he asked the man to donate $25 for presents for his brother. Now $25 is about $240 today. Police Chief Carl Haynes was to see that the gifts were bought. But that's not the end of the story. A second 23-year-old man also appeared here last week driving without a license. Barton suspended his sentence provided he dons Santa Claus togs and delivers the presents to the little red-haired boy on Christmas Eve. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances— I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So early in the podcast, I'd asked you if you knew when Santa made his first appearance in a U.S. department store. Did you know? Well, the story begins with a man named James Edgar who opened the Boston store in Brockton, Massachusetts in 1878, but that's not the answer. And just to give you a little frame of reference, Brockton lies about 20 miles or 32 kilometers south of Boston. I'll also add that he changed the name of the store to the James Edgar Company just a couple of years later, although people still did refer to it as the Boston Store. James, who was known as Big Jim to all those who knew him personally, had a reputation of being a kind and generous man. There's one story that he would stand on the roof of his store and drop pennies down to the street below for the children to gather up. Another thing that he did is that every year he would transport hundreds of children to a picnic grove in nearby Avon and treat them to an all-day celebration. It was at one of these picnics that Big Jim arrived dressed as Uncle Sam. And that proved to be so popular that the next year he came as George Washington. 
Another time, he dressed as a clown. And the kids love the clown costume, so he opted to wear it again in his store just prior to Christmas. It proved so popular that in 1890, that's 12 years after he opened the store, he did something that no other store owner had ever done before. He had a tailor make a Santa outfit, and he wore it in his store. Big Jim had absolutely no clue that he was about to launch a Christmas tradition. At first, Big Jim would only put the Santa outfit on for one hour each day, except for Saturdays when he'd extend that to three hours. And unlike today, he never sat on a throne to have kids come up and sit on his lap. Instead, he simply wandered through his store, and he greeted all the children that way. In 1969, octogenarian Ed Pearson was interviewed by Yankee Magazine and told of seeing Santa there. Quote, You can't imagine what it was like. You had heard of Santa Claus. You had seen sketches of him in the newspapers. Then all of a sudden you entered the Boston store on Main Street, and there he was right in front of you. You didn't think it could happen. It was like a dream come true. You were actually talking to Santa Claus. As you can imagine, it didn't take long for word to reach out to other communities, and soon kids were piling into the store to see Santa Claus. Pearson continued, They came from as far away as Boston. That was quite a trip in those days. They all wanted to meet Santa, and they did. James Edgar was wonderful with those children. He loved them. Sometimes I think he really was Santa Claus. Unquote. Santa proved to be so popular that another man named Jim Grant also needed to put on that red suit. Of course, it wasn't long before department stores all across the nation had their own Santas. But Big Jim Edgar, he was the first. But was he really? I recall when I first asked this question earlier in the podcast, I specifically mentioned that I was limiting the question to when Santa made his first appearance in a U.S. department store. While that 1890 day for Big Jim is certain, others claim that Santa's first appearance was at Lewis's Bon Marche department store in Liverpool in 1879. That was the year that they opened Santa's Grotto, although I have to tell you I couldn't find a single source that confirmed Santa himself was really there. And then there's an ad in the December 21st, 1859 edition of the Caledonian Mercury, and it tells of Santa making an appearance in an Edinburgh store. There are two lines in the advertisement that suggest this. The first is, quote, Good old Father Christmas himself will be there and preside at this wonderful, inexhaustible Christmas box. Then farther down in the ad, it reads, The admission ticket entitling each to a present from Father Christmas. You know, when I started putting the answer to this question together, I believe that Santa made his debut in a department store in 1890. But as I researched it further, I was leaning toward 1879 in Liverpool, and that's why I limited the question to U.S. Santas. But I have to say, now I'm fairly convinced it was Edinburgh in 1859. Or, you know what, all three dates could be proven wrong someday. But I do have a possible solution here. All you need to do is go to the mall, sit on Santa's lap, and ask him to confirm what the real date is. I'm curious to hear what he has to say. But my hunch is he doesn't have a clue either. Well, that closes out the 16th year of the Useless Information Podcast. Hard to believe. 
Um, I'll be back shortly after the new year with a brand new full-length story, and I do have several good ones in mind right now. But until then, I just want to wish you and everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, a belated Happy Hanukkah, or whatever you may celebrate. Just be safe and stay healthy. Just a reminder that you can find the Useless Information Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. The Useless Information Podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, so be sure to visit airwavemedia.com, and there you will find a curated selection of some of the best podcasts out there. Anyways, as always, thanks for listening, and take care, everyone. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.